This year has us all wanting to be healthier, and that includes our eye health. But how do you get vision coverage if you're retiring? It's actually pretty easy. VSP, the vision coverage many people get through work, offers individual vision plans. Enroll anytime, on any device, and start using your benefits the same day. You don't need to be an employee to get employee-level vision coverage. Visit VSPDirect.com today. That's VSPDirect.com. Welcome, everybody, to the NFL Show on the Grueling Truth Sports Network. The NFL Show is brought to you by Replenishing Care and Technology. Make sure you check them out at rcandt.com. I am your host for the NFL Show, Mike Goodpaster. Right now, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Sam Teets. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing great, Mike. How about you? All right. We had an interesting day in the NFL yesterday. We will break that down. We will also preview tonight's Chiefs-Ravens battle which is the battle probably be considered the best team in the NFL right now. But let's start it off with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, just the 101st season of the NFL, and he is the first quarterback to throw for four more touchdowns in each of his team's first three games. And DK Metcalf is pretty good. <laughs> and Seattle, you still have to worry about the defense, but Russell Wilson – cements that he's the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't care about who plays tonight. Russell Wilson is as good as anybody playing right now. Yeah, absolutely. He's not making the mistakes. I mean, the one interception he has this year was a ball went off and Gary Olsen got picked off. Really wasn't Russell Wilson's fault. You look at guys like Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, who are putting up big numbers. Yeah, but they're also turning the ball over a lot. Russell Wilson's not making those kind of mistakes. And he would have had six touchdowns yesterday if DK Metcalf just hadn't dropped the ball basically on the one-yard line or the one-inch line. He's a great play with Trevor Diggs there. But I mean, Russell Wilson's jungly right now, and he's by far the MVP favorite. I hope he holds on for the rest of the year because he deserves it. Yeah, and another guy that's really stepped up outside of DK Metcalf's Tyler Lockett. Yeah, and Lockett was good last year. Lockett had his first 1,000-yard receiving season this past year. But when he entered the NFL, he was a speedster. He was a return man. He wasn't really a complete receiver. For the past two or three years, We've seen it so Lockett has transformed himself from just a deep threat to a guy who handles every route and really runs in a complete route tree. So he's in a really good spot, and he's been helping them out a lot. When DK Metcalf doesn't get open, Lockett's always available. All right, now let's look at the Cowboys. And once again, you had Mike McCarthy's strange but not entirely uncommon clock management strategy near the end of the first half. The forced urgency from Dallas's offense resulted in a Dak Prescott interception. The other problem here is the play of replacement left tackle Brandon Knight, whose struggles were magnified by an untimely sack of Prescott by Robinson late in the fourth quarter. I think it's safe to say the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the NFC East, but this team has major issues. Yeah, I'm concerned about their ability to protect Dak Prescott because the CLCX are not known for a team that's good at getting pressure, but they felt like at crucial moments, Dak Prescott was getting rushed yesterday. So I think offensive line's a little bit of a problem. And the defense is just, I mean, they gave up 38 points. And that's, I mean, it's no, it's, I know it's against Russell Wilson, but even then, look at what they did against Atlanta. They've really struggled. That defense is terrible, honestly. And I question, like, the play calling with Mike McCarthy, it's not a well-coached team either. No, and that was my concern when they hired Mike McCarthy. I know a lot of Cowboy fans were excited, but Mike McCarthy's not going to be the answer in Dallas. Like I said, they may slip through, make the playoffs, just because the NFC is absolutely atrocious. The other thing I took about I took away with the, with Russell Wilson was when he got the ball down a point, you knew he was going to score. 
And there's not too many quarterbacks like that. I mean, there's not too many quarterbacks in the history of the NFL like that. But I, I had no doubt they were going to drive down and score when he had the ball. You know, it's something special when you get that gut feeling that this is going to happen. It's happening right now that at the end of the next drive, the team's going to retake the lead. And that's really what I get when I have Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson taking over control of the ball in a crucial situation like that. And that really separates those two guys. And also Aaron Rodgers, someone like him from other teams in the NFL. All right, now let's transition to the land of lost leads, which would be the Atlanta Falcons and Dan Quinn. This time they own a 26-10 lead in the fourth quarter with the chance to extend the lead or at least take some time off the clock. They didn't either. The Atlanta Falcons, Dan Quinn, I mean, he needs to be fired. On the other hand, Matt Nagy, I think he's done a great job with Bears team, and he switched from Mitchell Trubisky, who struggled early, and Nick Foles, as Nick Foles is apt to do, came in 16 to 29, 188 yards, three touchdowns, gets the win at the end of the game. I don't think there's any doubt that Nagy has to go with Nick Foles the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, you have to. I mean, there's no competition at this point. Mr. Trubisky was terrible the other day. He's been terrible for a long time. There's always been questions about him. And then Nick Foles comes in, throws about three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and leads to a comeback victory. You have to play Nick Foles. And Nick McNaggy, this could potentially save his job. I've been one who's been saying he was dead in the water this year. I thought him and Ryan Pace would be gone when Mitch Trubisky failed. But if you pull off a playoff run here with Nick Foles, I think you might stick around for another year or two. Yeah, and I'll tell you, what the Falcons on the good side is, when Julio Jones is done, Calvin Ridley looks like he's the guy that can be the number one target and step in for him. It's a shame they don't have any defense right now because this could be one of the better teams in the NFL if they just had an average defense. Yeah, I mean, imagine if they just held opponents to the 21 points per game. They'd be a fantastic team. They haven't been able to pull that off. Matt Ryan's still a very good quarterback. Julio Jones is elite when he's healthy. But Calvin Ridley's had a quick start this season. Even Russell Gage, their third-string receiver, who got hurt the other day, I believe, he's had a pretty good start to the year, too. So this is a loaded offense. I just question the offensive line a little bit, and the defense, of course, is atrocious. All right, the Pittsburgh Steelers ran the record to 3-0 with a win on Houston Texans. I think this is what everybody expected. It was a mismatch between the Steelers' pass rush and a much maligned pass protection of the Texans. But, of course, Deshaun Watson's there, so the game's going to be close. Houston actually led for a large part of this game. So what I take away from this is when I see the Pittsburgh Steelers, Sam, not to be mean, but they don't look like a 3 football team. Yeah, they got – I mean, they really have me worried here. The secondary is not playing well, at least in that first half of the other day. They gave all 21 points that Houston Texans scored, came in that first half. The secondary does not look nearly as good as it did last year. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick has been invisible through three weeks. Joe Hayden, Stephen Nelson, even Mike Hitler didn't beat much more than they were this past season. Terrell Edmonds is still Terrell Edmonds. I do not like the way secondary is facing, shaping up this year. Of course, the pass rush is incredible. But, I mean, Pittsburgh, they're 3-0, but it doesn't look like a 3-0 team. Yeah, and the problem is when I see their 3-0, it doesn't look like a Baltimore or a Kansas City, a team that can play with those guys. They're very good defensively. I also think, you know, James Conner looked a lot better yesterday, but it may just be because it's against the Texans' run defense. But his last two games over 100 yards. And you got to figure if Big Ben can stay healthy, he's only going to get better. So I will give you that. But the Houston Texans, Bill O'Brien should be fired. I mean, when you've got Deshaun Watson – and you give up DeAndre Hopkins, and you do not get the offensive line help that he needs, it's almost criminal. 
Well, and how about how well this Andre Hopkins is playing in Arizona with Kyler Murray? You could have had that in Houston. You could have easily had that in Houston. All you need to do was patch things up with DeAndre Hopkins, but he wasn't able to do that. He traded him away, did not get equal value in return, and now you're 0-3. I mean, Bill O'Brien has to be done here, I think, potentially by the midway through the season, if not by like week five, because honestly, it's only going to get worse from here for the Houston Texans. All right, let's go to the New England Patriots, who yesterday ran the record to 2-1. and one. It's not so much that they're 2-1 right now. It's the way they are doing it. And the Patriots deployed a trio of running backs. You know, they're running outside with undrafted rookie J.J. Taylor, 11 carries, 43 yards. You get, you know, Sonny Michelle, nine carries, 117 yards. Rex Burkhead, who's basically the Swiss Army knife of football players. Cam Newton did not play nearly as well, but they're running for 250 yards. They played solid defense in this game was pretty evenly matched until that New England ground game just kind of ground down the Las Vegas Raiders defense. Yeah, you know what? That's been what's been different, at least to me, from New England this year. This past last year they tried running the ball, they really couldn't. So Michelle was below average last year. This season they've been much more proficient at running the football. And I think that's really what's gonna put them both the top here so they control the clock better. It may to be hide some of the deficiencies they have receivers, some of the deficiencies they have along that offense. They were all doing this without their starting center. They had to move Joe Thune to center here for this game and end up going out and beating, at the point, the undefeated Las Vegas Raiders. They go to 2-1 and one now. I think it's an impressive win. I think it's just showing really good coaching and really good discipline in that offense. Yeah, and the MO on Bill Belichick is his ability to take away the other team's best option. And they took away Darren Waller, who entered the week after a dominant Monday night performance. He was second in the NFL in targets and receptions. New England completely wiped him out. They used a variety of bodies to keep him quiet from double coverage with a safety over the top to deploying Stephon Gilmore to six foot three DP or DB Joan Williams. I mean, he was blanketed. Derek Carr had to hold the ball far too long. He was forced to either check down or to eat it. And I think that this brings up the big problem with the Raiders, and that's wide receiver play. I mean, when you're taking away one guy and you can't do anything else, that's a huge issue. Well, yeah, they didn't have Henry Ruggs, and Darren Waller only had two catches for nine yards. So when you get to that point, I mean, Hunter Renfro came through six catches for 84 yards and a touchdown, but really, you don't want Renfro being your top guy. He's not supposed to be a top option in your offense. And you can see Derek Carr noticeably getting frustrated on the field with the way not only the offensive line is playing, but having not players not get open downfield for him to throw to. And we're at a point where I think the Raiders, you really need Henry Ruggs to get healthy, and you need to come back and be your number one immediately, because if he isn't, it can really bite you in the rear later in the season. Yeah, and I think Vegas is a team that is getting better, but when you're turning the ball over three times, you're missing a field goal. The first quarter, the Raiders jumped on the Patriots and had like a 103 to 38 yard first quarter advantage in yards, but held just a seven to nothing or three to nothing lead. And the problem was if you can't jump up on the Patriots and force them to throw the ball, there's going to be a problem when the Pats start running the ball. I think that's what happened here. And I, I think with the Raiders, we've seen there's small margin of error for this team, and they can't really overcome missed opportunities. So this is a team that I think you're looking at an eight-win season, give or take a win, a possible playoff team. But, I mean, this is a team that I think is trending in the right direction for the future, though. But right now, they cannot afford any mistakes to be able to win football games against good teams. Yeah, if they can get healthy, I think they'll be fine. They'll make the playoffs, like I said, eight or nine wins probably. But 
really, it comes down to if you make simple mistakes in games against really good teams, they're not going to recover. So if you're the Raiders, you need to be almost perfect. You need to have all your guys healthy week to week. Otherwise, you're going in with a severe disadvantage. All right, game of the day for me, Buffalo Bills 35, the LA Rams 32. Now, it would be great if we could see what a technically sound Josh Allen looked like, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. I mean, he's exhilarating, four straight touchdown drives. He's exasperating. He gives up, I mean, enough crap here to put this game back into balance and they're actually behind at the end of the game. But the thing about Josh Allen is this, and we both have ripped him before, but at the end of games, if he's got the ball in his hands, more often than not, he wins the game. Yeah, he's been surprisingly clutch, I guess you could say, this year, which is something I never associated with Josh Allen beforehand. But really, he's been great for them. He's been a scoring machine, and he's still turning the ball over. I think that's a part of Josh Allen's game that will never entirely go away. But he's doing it in a sense. He's doing it after he's putting up phenomenal shows. And honestly, if you're going to take give me five touchdowns total and just one or two turnovers, I think you might take that in most situations, especially with the Buffalo defense. So I think Josh Allen's a very good quarterback for this team specifically. And if he continues improving this way, he's going to be a pro bowler and he's going to be one of the top five quarterbacks potentially for a year. Well, and the thing is this, this on that final drive, they incurred a 12-yard sack, a 15-yard penalty. He still takes them down and scores. The Bills' defense struggled big time. I know you got a couple of injuries at the linebacker position. They're not healthy yet there completely. But I think what we've seen is if they were to have to get into a shootout with a Baltimore or a Kansas City, they could maybe win that game. Yeah, which is something I never thought before. It's like I said last year when Pittsburgh played Buffalo, the Steelers almost won because Buffalo was not scoring points. Their offense just was stagnant. It has not been the case this year at all. It's been the offense has actually probably outdone the defense at this point. So I think it's a shocking turnaround. And on the other side, the Rams have been running the ball exceptionally well. The Rams, I think, will have a really good chance at making the playoffs here, maybe even winning a playoff game because they have Daryl Henderson who runs for 114 yards yesterday. And they finished with, I think, close to or over 150 total rushing yards. And that's something they didn't have this past year. So the Rams are looking like a more complete team now. All right, let's go to Tom Brady, who the first couple weeks kind of struggled. Yesterday, he did not struggle. Made himself at home at Mile High Stadium with a 28-10 win. Three touchdowns, 297 yards, 66% completion percentage. And I think that what we're seeing here maybe is Tom Brady finally getting a little more comfortable with his new team. Yeah, that's certainly what the Bucks hope it is because they really expect this to be the version of him from week one. But now you got him. Looks like he's performing well at the level you want to. And you saw Rob Gronkowski finally get involved. He really didn't do much in the first two weeks. We had six catches for 48 yards. Maybe that's all you're going to get out of Gronk moving forward. But even if that's it, that's still a significant improvement on what you had beforehand. I think it really helps Brady calm down a little bit and get situated in the offense. And if this is the version we get of Brady moving forward, I think Tampa will hold on to their lead in the division. All right, um, you look at the Broncos. Uh, this is the eighth different starting quarterback to begin a game since the start of 2016. Brett Rippon replaced a struggling Jeff Driscoll in the fourth quarter and completed his first eight passes. He looked good, but it's the fourth quarter. The game's a blowout. The Denver Broncos, who somebody on here thought could make the playoffs, I don't think you think that anymore. And, you know, now maybe they could get Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I'm stunned you thought they'd make the playoffs, Mike. I can't believe that was such an oversight by you. I'm but... pretty sure that was you, but I'm going <laughs> Yeah, no, I think this is probably going to cost a big fan Joey's job. I mean, I only know it's it's only his second year, so maybe they give him one more go because Drew Locke hasn't been healthy. But at the same point, I mean, this defense has been far worse than I expected. The offense, the pieces just aren't there right now. 
on the quarterback play, it's 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 below average at best. So I think this whole team is just falling apart. They're a prime contender, probably with the Giants and Jets to be the potential number one overall pick. All right, the Washington football team hung with the Browns for a while until Kevin Stefanski decided to run the ball, which if he came out and did from the start with the running game he's got, this could be a playoff team in Cleveland, Sam. But Stefanski still wants to throw the ball early in the game for some reason. And when I look at this game, number one, Dwayne Haskins is horrible. He, he has never looked like he's improved to me, and it's been over a year right now. So you get a question when maybe they go away from Haskins. And with Cleveland, this is a team that if they would just stick to running the ball with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, they could cause problems for just about anybody they play. Well, we've talked about this with Indianapolis before. When I mean, you have uh, Philip Rivers, just throw the ball 20, 25 times a game and run it. Run it 30-something times. And that's really what the Cleveland Browns should be doing. They should not be trying to throw the ball 30-plus times with Baker Mayfield. It's just not working at this point. If you hold him to 23 pass attempts like you did the other day, and just run the rest of the game out, you'll be fine. But Cleveland doesn't seem to understand that They want to push Baker Mayfield. They want to push Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. That's not how this team's going to win games. On the other side, I got to think, if Alex Smith is healthy, we would have seen him by now. So there must be something going on with him in terms of how he has not been fully reintroduced to the offense yet. But they also have Kyle Allen on the roster. And Kyle Allen made some starts for Carolina this past year. He wasn't that great, but he certainly is better than Dwayne Haskins. I think we got to see one of those two sooner or later. Yeah, and I think it needs to be sooner because in the NFC East, they're one and two. They're what a game out of first place, or no? They're tied for first, aren't they? Yeah, they're tied for first with Dallas. I'm pretty sure. So it, it's, I mean, they have a shot. They really have a shot here still. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it needs to happen. I know they spent a lot of money on a number one quarterback, but at some point, you just got to cut bait. The San Francisco 49ers beat the hapless New York Giants 36 to nine. The Giants are firmly into Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Nick Mullins stepped up in the absence of Jimmy G. The 49ers backup quarterback was efficient, mistake-free, maintained order in Kyle Shanahan's system. He finished the day 25-36, 343 yards and a touchdown. And I don't know if Nick Mullins is that good or New York Giants are that bad, but I'm going to err on the side that Nick Mullins isn't half bad and the New York Giants defense is. Now, we saw Mullins play a couple of years ago. I think it was 2018. He was still a decent quarterback at the time. He's not a star by any means, but he's a really good backup. And he went out there, played significantly better than I thought he was going to against New York. And the Giants, you got to look at them. I mean, really, this is a 49ers team that's missing almost all of its best players. You only scored nine points. I think that's just that – just, that's got to condemn Daniel Jones. I don't think you can do – if you cannot do better than nine points against a beat-up San Francisco 49ers team, you give up 36. Daniel Jones has got to go. I mean, he's been horrible at this point. He's been a turnover machine. He's not anything to offensively. drafted him, and last year you thought he was all right. I thought he was average last year. I didn't say he was great. I thought he was average. This year I'm saying he's he's been horrendous. You cannot justify keeping him in that star for the full year unless you're trying to get Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, because I really thought they had a chance to win this game. I was wrong. Next up, the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, you Titan. the Giants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. It was a stupid pick. The Tennessee Titans, 31. The Minnesota Vikings, Vikings 30. The Titans are now 3-0. The Vikings are 0-3. Both teams definitely headed in direct opposite directions. And Ryan Tannehill, 321 yards yesterday, Sam. Yeah, he did a one interception. But overall, I didn't think it was really a bad game for Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he had that one turnover. But on that fairly clean game, Derek Henry did really good on the ground. 
I mean, their top receiver was Khalif Raymond, which is something you didn't expect to release. I mean, that probably tells you a little bit about how Tennessee offense was functioning the other day. Defensively, though, I'm a little worried about Tennessee. Coming into the year, the, the idea was that the defense in Tennessee was fairly strong. It's going to hold up. And it's really going to help them out. I don't think it's helped them as much as I expected it to at this point in the year. The Vikings did go out and drop 30 points on them. And Justin Jefferson had quite a day. So I'm a little bit concerned about Tennessee's defense. But otherwise, I mean, they came through, drive down the field. They get a field goal to put them ahead for the win of the game. This is one of the best teams in the AFC. Well, this is the thing. I mean, Dalvin Cook, 181 yards. Kirk Cousins throws for 251, but he throws two picks. Justin Jefferson, seven receptions, 175 yards, and a touchdown. And Minnesota still lost. To me, if I'm the Tennessee Titans and I'm going to Minnesota and you tell me ahead of time all that stuff's going to fall into place, I'm going to think we're probably going to lose the game. So when I look at this, Mike Vrabel's a very good football coach. The Tennessee Titans defense, I think, is slightly above average. I think they will continue to get better. And I think the fact that this team is playing in winning games like this early on bodes well for the end of the season. I mean, if you remember, I know it's a bad comparison, but the 85 Bears played a game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where it was 38 to 28, like week three or week four of 1985. The thing is, when you're well coached, that defense is going to continue to get better. The offense, I think, is what it is, which is a solid quarterback with one of the best running backs in football, if not the best running back in football. So when I look at this, I think the Titans' defense, they possess the names to bring constant pressure. But it hasn't really materialized the way we thought it would on game day. But all I know is I would rather have my team playing well at the end of the season. Last year, the Kansas City Chiefs' defense was atrocious for the first 11 weeks of the season. The end of the season – they had maybe the best defense in football or one of the best defenses in football. I think they ranked number one the past six or last six weeks of last year. So I think with the Titans coaching, the fact that they're continuing to win, even when maybe they're not playing complete games yet, I think bodes really well for the future. Yeah. If we can just put everything together, they'll do, they'll do fine. I already said, like if you're winning close games early in the year, I think it bodes well for your team chemistry and also for your outlook going into the later season. This is a good team. Like you said, you called this early on. This is one of the playing top four teams in the AFC right now. Well, another thing that I almost called, but you talked me out of it, was the Detroit Lions 26, the Arizona Cardinals 23, Sam. <laughs> yeah, you, you did talk me I did talk you out of it. I kind of feel a little bit bad about that one because I was wrong. I thought, I thought the Cardinals would improve significantly on the game they had last year. Instead, this was Kyler Murray's worst game of the year by far, three interceptions. And this is really my fear for Kyler Murray. He is a phenomenal talent. And we saw it in the first two weeks. But he has those mistakes in some games. I think Detroit really got in his head and really shook him up. And that continued throughout the game. So I think this is a little bit of a mental game for him. And also just eliminating some of those mistakes. He has not refined his game yet. I still think what it is, it was a young team that won their first two games and were real happy. I don't think the Detroit Lions are a terrible football team. And you've got Matt Stafford. So I thought all the makings here were for the upset. Um, I think people are overrating Arizona a little bit right now. I do think that they may be like a six or a seven seed by the time we get to the playoffs, but this is still a young football team. And when you're a young football team, handling success sometimes is even tougher than handling failure. Yeah, and you have to know how to respond to keep working hard. When you win games, you have to know how to not get overly excited, not get over it. 
not put more emphasis on the wins than next week necessarily. Some teams get so obsessed with how they won games and stuff like that. I don't really focus on moving forward. I think the Lions have done a good job of forgetting their losses up to this point and trying to learn and move forward. This is a team that has lost a couple of close games, and they go forward into week three. They beat an Arizona team. Kenny Dolliday comes back, and he was huge for them offensively. I mean, this is the best receiver on Matt Stafford's team. He missed the first two weeks. Now that he's back, I think the offense will be much better moving forward. All right, the Cincinnati Bengals-Philadelphia Eagles. This game was atrocious. It was horrible. It was two of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen playing a football game together at the same time. To make matters worse, Doug Peterson decided to lay down and take the tie, and so did Opie Taylor. I mean, you had a chance for a 59-yard field goal. You had a penalty. Turns it to 64. Jake Elliott's kicked to 62, or you can go for the first down. But who in the hell settles for a tie, and why are there still ties in the NFL, Sam? <laughs> yeah, I know. There, there really shouldn't be at this point. You shouldn't settle for a tie. You have to, I mean, at this point, what do you have to lose? You are potentially still in your division because it's so horrible. But if you continue losing to teams like this and playing this way in games, it really doesn't matter if you go for the field goal and miss it or not because it's not going to save your season. I mean, you, you might as well just take the shot, take the chance, because otherwise it's only going to be the worst possible scenario. And how many times did Joe Burrow get sacked in overtime? I mean, I felt like when I was watching, I felt like every time he showed up, he was getting sacked. Well, he got sacked eight times for the game on Sunday, and that's not from a great Philadelphia Eagles front, but I, it, it was just bad. I mean, he took a hit from Malik Jackson that was a roughing call. I mean, Cincinnati's pinning his hopes on Burrow. The only problem is Burrow does not have a coaching staff that can put the players around him for him to be successful. I expect he'll probably win some games this year just because he does some amazing stuff, but the clock management by the Bengals is horrible. The offensive, the only thing good with the Cincinnati Bengals is the special teams. And right now, I would love it if the Cincinnati Bengals would fire Opie Taylor's ass, send him back to Mayberry if Amp B. And, you know, I know you've never watched Andy Griffith, which is an entirely different thing. I could brand one, but you can't really be an American with never seeing the Andy Griffith show, Sam. But I, I think the, the next head coach or the interim head coach would be Darren Simmons, who's the special teams coach. He's a guy that doesn't take any crap. The special teams is always really good. He's the only good coach in Cincinnati football-wise, outside of, of course, Luke Fickle, and he coaches the Cincinnati Bearcats. So when I look at this game, it's a game where Philadelphia is missing maybe six of their seven best players, and the Bengals still lose the game. Uh, and so did the Eagles, because you either win or you lose. There's no such thing as a tie in my world. So if you didn't win, you lost. And it's sad right now that the Bengals are wasting Joe Burrow. Yeah, because Joe Burrow did not have a bad game. He had a pretty good game. Him and Tyler Boyd are probably the highlights of that game offensively. T. Higgins was great, too. Your, boy, your guy from Clemson, T. Higgins, had two touchdown receptions. A.J. Green has turned into a possession receiver that can't really get open that much. That was wasted money. That's what the Bengals do. You know, Jim Turner, the Bengals' offensive line coach, at the right around free agency said, well, why do I have to go out and get more linemen? Because I got Xavier Fuasalo, who sucked in Houston anyways. I got Fred Johnson and Billy Price. And Fred Johnson is absolutely atrocious. Billy Price is probably worse. And then, of course, you got Bobby Hart. But Fred Johnson, if this is possible, Fred Johnson and Billy Price were so bad yesterday that I forgot about Bobby Hart and how bad he was. I mean, the Bengals used the first-round pick on Billy Price, and he sucks. He doesn't belong in the NFL. 
I mean, the Bengals have offensive linemen that are absolutely atrocious. And the fact that they don't try to do something to get somebody in here right now is almost criminal. Because what they're going to do is they're going to Bengalize Joe Burrow. I mean, right now, Joe Burrow is still defiant. But I've seen this before. You get about week eight or week nine, you're going to see that defiance start to die down. And just the reality sets in that you're a Cincinnati Bengal and shit's never going to get better. <laughs> I mean, look, he's going to get killed, though, behind an, off- behind an offensive line. You saw him the other day. I mean, he got clobbered and clobbed most of the game. So He got clobbered? What is clobbered? Is that the cousin? I don't – listen, I just put two words on. I just put them together, and that's what came out. But, I mean, he, he took so many hits, especially late in the game, that I'm concerned about his health. I mean, you saw the hit in Lake Jackson late on him, and that was a little – but if you let him get hit like that regularly, which they have, at some point or another, he's going to get hurt. He cannot bear that for a full season. All right, let's talk to a guy who's been Jediized, Sam Darnold, who took a 36-7 ass whooping yesterday. He's in a no-win situation already without his top three receivers. He's starting running back. Darnold watched his best offensive lineman, rookie left tackle Mekhi Becton, leave with a shoulder injury. The surroundings here are awful for any young quarterback. He's in worse position than even Joe Burrow, who's a rookie right now. And with the Colts, once again, they won, and Phillip Rivers threw the ball 21 times. Yeah, they found their groove. They know what they need to do offensively now, which is good for them. Because that could probably get them, that could probably get them to the playoffs. As for Sam Darnold, you got to bail as soon as possible. Darnold is a good quarterback. He was a good quarterback coming out of college. He's some stuff to really build on there. They haven't built on any of it in New York. They put him in a losing situation. They've absolutely ruined Sam Darnold's career potentially based on what they've done up to this point. He's not the kind of guy who would go out there and throw three interceptions, but he doesn't have players to throw to. It's just a terrible situation, and it's all the Jets' fault. It's management, it's coaching, it's everything. Yeah. Greg on the Bengals game says if they go to overtime and score a touchdown, they should have to go for two points. The problem is this, Greg. It was the Bengals and the Eagles, and nobody could score a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty much, right? <laughs> <clears throat> all right. Carolina, 21, Charger 16. Chargers rookie Justin Herbert flashed a rifle right arm, showed a lot of promise, threw for 330 yards, his second 300-yard game in as many as many starts. But a crucial mistake proved costly in the final minutes of the first half. He failed to see cornerback Dante Jackson on an intermediate throw in his own coverage. Basically, kill him. Panthers ended up with an 18-7 lead, went on to win. I think Justin Herbert is what we're going to see. I think he's Josh Allen light. I don't think he's ever going to have the moxie of a Josh Allen. I think he's going to put up big numbers, but I don't think he's a winner. I think he'll put up big numbers, and I agree with you in that aspect. My issue for him is he telegraphed passes a couple times the other day. I mean, he really did. He put he basically told the defender where he was going to throw the ball, and you could see it. The defenders were reacting to before he even threw it because he was staring down receivers, and that was an issue he had in college. He's had trouble reading defenses. He's had trouble necessarily seeing all the defenders in the field. His vision's not great. So as far as I see, Justin Herbert's probably still a better option if you want to try to win games than Tyler Taylor at this point. But he's not necessarily going to go out there. He's not going to lead you to the playoffs. He's not, maybe not even the quarterback of the future based on how he develops. We'll see. But right now, below average, I think below average as a quarterback. Yeah, the Panthers' pass rush, led by Brian Burns and Marquise Haynes, were much better than what they've been so far this year. Teddy Bridgewater was all right. He's Teddy Bridgewater. He's average. That's the way it is. But I think the Panthers showed that, you know, as the defense gets better, 
this is a team that can improve as the year goes on. I still don't, I still don't think they're going to win a lot of games, but they will screw up getting Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, they're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. I think Teddy Bridgewater is good enough when he doesn't make turnovers because he had a lot of turnovers last week. But when he puts up clean sheets, this team has a legitimate chance to win games, even against Tampa Bay. They were in it until, I think, halfway through the fourth quarter. So this is a team that will be competitive, even if they only end up winning five or six games. Yeah, but I think one of the problems you have is they can be competitive, they can stay in games, but Teddy Bridgewater is not going to win you games if you know what I mean. I mean, he can keep yeah, you no. from losing it. He can keep you in it. Hopefully your defense does something. They get Christian McCafferty back. I still think the cap on wins for this team is five at most. Yeah, because this is a prototypical team that has some pieces, but it's still not a complete team. At quarterback, you are capped when you have Teddy Bridgewater. There's only so much you can do. And division has Tom Brady and Drew Brees. If you're even close to either of those teams going to the fourth quarter, I'm picking the Panthers to lose every time. Because I don't believe they have the clutch players in place to pull out those kind of wins. All right. Last night, the Packers and Saints. Great football game. Packers win the game by a touchdown. And I'll tell you, Aaron Rodgers, to me, looks a lot better than he did last year. I don't think he's showing any signs of slippage. No, he's, he's this is by far his probably his best season since 2016, I'm pretty sure. He's been phenomenal so far. He's off to a hot start. He hasn't thrown an interception yet. And – like, there were some people talking about maybe this was the end of Aaron Rodgers. Maybe he wasn't an elite quarterback anymore. But he's proven us wrong. To me, at this point in the season, he's the second-best quarterback in the NFL behind Russell Wilson. I think he's better than Josh Allen. I would even take him over Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes at this point. He is number two in my eyes. Yeah, and he didn't have Pro Bowl wide receiver Devontae Adams last night, and he still was 21-32, 283 yards, three scores. The other thing that stood out, the defense did make some plays. And I think the offensive line is playing really well, too, for him right now. Yeah, we got David Bakhtiari at left tackle. He's one of the best in the business. And the offensive line is keeping Aaron Rodgers upright. So unlike early in his career, he doesn't have the mobility necessarily to go around and sometimes make something out of nothing anymore. So he really needs the offensive line to be big for him. Drew Brees, on the other hand, had a pretty good game number-wise. But when you think about 13 of his passes, 13 of his 29 completions, went to Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. He's really not throwing the ball downfield anymore. It's really a short passes. You don't have Michael Thomas. So to me, I'm concerned about Drew Brees just because I don't think they're moving the ball as much as they used to. They're not a quick strike offense as much as they used to be. I think this offense really is kind of capped based on what Drew Brees is doing right now. All right. So also for Greg, I would say this. If the Bengals are playing the Eagles, maybe they ought to go with the old high school rule and everybody starts from the 10 and then make them go for two. It's still going to end up somebody's kicking a field goal. Um, Monday night football tonight. I think this is a preview, possibly the AFC championship game is the Baltimore Ravens host the Kansas city chiefs in a matchup of two of the best quarterbacks in the league, massive implications. Baltimore has lost three straight in this series, all three close games. Kansas city's two and O start featured a 34, 20 win at home over Houston, a 23 to 20 comeback overtime win in LA against the chargers. Um, when I look at this, the, the thing that's amazing to me is according to Elias Sports Bureau, Patrick Mahomes has won an NFL record six straight games when trailing by double digits, including the playoffs. I mean, he's the key's new comeback kid, right? I mean, he's the guy who's going out there. And in terms of clutch, I mean, I've mentioned players like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, but really Patrick Mahomes is hot right now. He's been since the start of his career. And 
I don't think Benning gets Patrick Mahomes this far. I know Baltimore has the most complete team in the NFL at this moment, but if you ask me to bet against Patrick Mahomes when Lamar Jackson's on the other side, I'm still taking Mahomes because he's proven to me that no matter how much his team gets down by, he's still able to come back and win games. Yeah, and I think I, I would expect to see, hopefully, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire get a few more touches running the ball tonight because I think that if Kansas City can run the ball, even mildly successfully, I think they win this game. When we saw it necessarily when Tennessee faced against Baltimore in the playoffs, you could have run the ball against Baltimore. Their defense kind of gets tired. They kind of collapse a little bit. Keeping Lamar Jackson off the field really hurts Baltimore's chances. On the other side, you can't let Baltimore get into a rhythm where they're running the ball 30 to 40 times a game because if they get to the point where they're running 40 times on you, you're probably losing time possession significantly, and you're probably not going to be able to stay with them in the game. All right, now, secondary. Both teams have small injury issues in their secondary. All is not necessarily with their best players or their best corner. Unfortunately for Baltimore, Tavon Young is done for the season with an ACL injury. He was a very nice piece to have at corner to supplement Humphrey Peters and Jimmy Smith. And when I look at this, can either one of these teams stop the passing game of the other team? Because I think if they can, I mean, even slow it down a little bit, I would actually give the edge to the Chiefs a little bit, having a better chance to slow down the Ravens than I would the Ravens a chance to slow down the Chiefs. And the Ravens have a hell of a secondary, but I don't know that anybody has the kind of weapons that the Chiefs have. Well, and also guys like Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, their weakness is speed. So going up against guys like Tyreek Hill, I think Samuel Watkins might be injured and out for this game, but ordinarily he'd be there with Cole Hardman. I don't think – the Ravens had the personnel to stay with the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of speed. On the other side of the ball, my concern for Kansas City would be trying to cover Mark Andrews. I don't know if they have enough pieces to cover Mark Andrews right now because he's a matchup nightmare for most teams. But I'm not as worried about Baltimore's receivers, obviously. All right, so who do you like in this game? You go with the Chiefs because of the Mahomes over Jackson factor? Yeah, I'm taking the Chiefs. I'm probably thinking somewhere like 35, 28, something like that. I'll take the Chiefs. All right, I'm going to take the Chiefs also, 38-31. I think they win the game, and I think what you talked about there was I don't think Baltimore's secondary has the speed to stay with the Kansas City wide receivers. There's not many teams to do, so I'm going to go with the Chiefs tonight too. And the other thing is this. I mean, there's really no home field advantage here. I mean, I think that if you were playing in a packed Baltimore stadium, I think it may change what both of us pick in this game. Yeah, home field advantage has really been wiped out. They're allowing, I think, a couple thousand fans in most stadiums, but that's really not enough to sway the game. You can hear when players are making call-outs on the field, it's quite easy to hear from almost anywhere. So I don't think that the fans are going to alter the outcome of the game. And, and Greg Gurek is picking with us. He says Chiefs 31, Ravens 23. So if Greg's picking the Chiefs, he must be right. Well, I don't know. He's a Browns fan. I'm a Bengals fan. You can't really I forgot about that. says. <laughs> I forgot about that. Didn't Greg like the Giants? No, that's Steve. Okay. But there, there you go, Greg. Chiefs 31, Ravens 23. Tomorrow we will be back. Are we going to have your quarterback rankings? Yeah, they'll be ready for tomorrow. You better respect Josh Allen this time. I'm getting tired of it. I will. He'll be up there. He'll be top five. Oh, top five now? I don't know. I may have to disagree with that. Um, we, we will also recap tonight's Kansas City-Baltimore game. We'll give you all the news in the NFL. 
That's 1 o'clock every day, Monday through Friday on the Grueling Crew Sports Network. Make sure you check out Replenishing Care Technologies, rcandt.com. You can follow Sam at samteach33. You can follow me at Grueling Truth. So for now, for Sam Teats, I'm Mike Goodpastor. You've been listening and watching to the Grueling Truth, where the legends speak. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.